Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 15. Let me read this passage to you, and then we're going to dive in and study it. For everything, there is a season. I'm sorry, let's stand together as I read. Please stand with me. There's a season, a time to stand. There's a time to sit. There's a time to stand. There's a time for every matter under heaven. Verse 2, a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear Him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. This is God's Word. And I want to preach to you this morning on this passage under the title, An Unchanging God in Changing Times. An Unchanging God in Changing Times. Let's pray and ask God for His help. Father, we do ask that you would help us as we study this passage. Help me to preach your truths, your word, not merely my ideas, that you would open our hearts to be shaped and fashioned according to Jesus' likeness. It's in Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. It was about 5.30 p.m., on Monday, two weeks ago. I was sitting in my study, and that evening I was planning to spend 30 more minutes on my computer. We were planning to take the session's dinner. We were, I was planning to get a late workout in. That week, I was planning to catch up on week's worth of desk work, and we were planning to have my wife's family over for Thanksgiving. Our plans changed. As I heard the sirens of a two-alarm fire flying down our street, and I get a phone call from my daughter Eden saying the house next door is on fire, and our house is filled with smoke. And so I went running home. I had not planned that meeting that, that night to meet with smoke remediation crews. I had not planned that evening to move into the plaster's house as much of a blessing as it was. And for my daughter to move into the hills as much of a blessing as that was. I had not planned to sign papers with contractors to tear out my ceiling and to replace mattresses and furniture. I had not planned to move into temporal housing for the foreseeable future. 
if there's anything I know about time, it's that time changes my plans. Plans fail, and new plans are made. My intent this morning is not to bemoan the unpredictability of time, but rather to boast in an unchanging character of our God, who is sovereign and providential over every single moment of our time. It is God who is working in the details when the details don't seem to be working. It is God who is moving in the disorganized when everything seems to be out of control, moving for His organized purposes. In my, unch- uh, my, my unplanned changes, there is an unchanging God moving every single moment of time to his intended conclusion. Or as J.I. Packer put it, he said what he does in time, he planned from eternity. And all that he planned in eternity, he carries out in time. And all that is in his word, he committed himself to do, will infallibly be done. So church, can you trust an unchangeable God in the changing seasons of life? We're in the series in Ecclesiastes. Today we're in chapter 3. We've seen how the writer of Ecclesiastes has gone on this project to try to find meaning in this life, in the things of this life, from success to knowledge to pleasure, without God. And what he's discovered is that it's all meaningless. And now when we put God back into the equation, what the author has told us, as we saw last week in chapter 2, verse 12 through 26, is that all of life should simply be received not as an idol in itself to find meaning, but rather as a gift from God to be enjoyed. And today, we move into the topic of time. Before we get there, let me just peek around the corner at the next passage for next week, chapter 3, verse 16 through 22. What you'll discover there is the problem of death. You see, what the author is doing for us is he is now moving into this this thing we call time, which is marching us ever forward to that final place of death, the problem that looms over all of us. And so therefore, as we think about time, and as we know, if we're honest, where time is leading us, time can be physically painful. Meaning, we can sometimes long for the joys of the past with such feeling that it's painful. And we can sometimes regret the failures of the past that it's painful. And we can fear the unknown of the future to such a degree that it is physically painful. So, what do we do with time? That's the question for today. The author begins in verse 1 through 8 with a poem on time. This poem brings us face to face with the changing reality of the life that we live, the seasons in which we do life. This poem is prescriptive rather than descriptive, meaning it doesn't show us what to do, it just simply shows you what is. And that is that time is forever changing. Time tells the story of all of our life from birth until death, the building of our life and the destroying of life. And time is God's way of unfolding His plans from one thing to the next for 
His purposes. In this poem, there are seven couplets and 14 verses. Each couplet uh, has its own theme, and together they span the whole of human existence. In verse 2, he says that there is a time in which everyone who dies was once born. And everyone who is born will will, will one day die. We don't forever live in a season of planting, but he says there is a time for harvest. In verse 3, we see human creativity and destruction. There's a time to kill. And there's a time to heal. There's a time to break something down. And there's a time to build something up. Funerals are a time for us to weep and mourn, but weeping does not tarry. Laughter once again will come, and there is again a time to laugh and a time to dance. Everything has its time, verse 4. There's a time to cast away stones, as in clearing a field. And there's a time to gather stones, as in building a house. There's a time for intimate embrace and a time for celibacy. Verse 5. There are seasons of your life where you are seeking and finding. And there are other seasons of your life where you have to admit that you've lost it. There are times where we preserve our keepsakes and there are times when your keepsakes become your grandchild's trash that goes in the dumpster. Verse 6. In verse 7, he says it's a time to tear and destroy and a time to sew it back up and fix it. Many of you know that there is often a time to speak and if you don't speak, you're wrong. And you also know that there's often a time to hold your tongue. And if you say something, you're going to be off. Verse 8, there's a time to love. And there's a time in which humans hate. There are seasons of wartime in which we hunker down, the economy is tough, and we don't live like we would in peacetime. But then wars come to an end and cities are rebuilt and we live once again in a time of peace. Time. It's the whole of our existence that we see flashing before us in these eight verses, in this short poem. As the old saying goes, master time or it will time will master you. The problem with that saying is that no one in all of human existence has ever learned how to master time. Time is not something that's like our, uh, uh, you know, our tool that we can grab onto and use for our purposes. It's, it's not like a pool of water that we can somehow put into our own boundaries and then use for our benefit and for our purposes. But rather, time is more like a river which is carrying us along. And at times, that river is peaceful, and at other times, we find ourselves in the rapids of life, and it is horrifying, and it is scary, and then those rapids give away to some of the most beautiful vistas that you did not expect in life, and time just leads us on, carrying us along until we get to that final sea, that final shore. Of death. Time. It's changing. It's changing. It's unexpected. We can't predict it. It keeps marching on. If if there's a personal feeling that on time that I've had more than any feeling on time, it is the, the, the desire to pause time for just a moment. I can't tell you how many times I've been writing in a journal or just thinking to myself and just thinking to my, like, man, I wish, like, I like my life right now. I like the stage of life my kids are in. 
I like the stage of life of our church, and I know things are going to probably change and not always for the better. And if, if it's, it's like sometimes I just wish I could pause time to just catch my breath. Do you know that feeling? If I could just catch up and enjoy and begin to wrap my mind around the life uh, that I currently have as the Lord has given it to me. And, and then I look at my girls and they're getting older and sometimes I feel sad. I was just down at the Inner Harbor the other day and as I was leaving the harbor, I visited a friend down there and I, I see, uh, uh, what's the old bookstore down there that's closed, the Barnes and Noble and the power plant? And I used to take my girls down there, and I was thinking, like, it's so sad like, that it's closed now, and I have so many good memories there. And, and I have this sadness at times when I think about how my girls are not little anymore. But then I think to myself, like, man, time is such a mystery wrapped in an, in an enigma. I try to say that ten times. In that, like, I'm kind of glad that my girls kept growing. Like, what if 10 years later, Jaden is still three feet tall and Eden's still in diapers? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, there is a sense in which we are thankful for the progression of time. That's what makes it weird for us. We're thankful for the development of time. Yet, it always feels as if we've lost something in the past. Something that we incredibly loved and enjoyed a time, a place, an opportunity, a feeling, a person. And the future so often feels scary because it's unknown. We don't know how things are going to go and how we're going to handle it. And so the spiritualist comes along and says, well, time is just an illusion. Your job is to figure out how to escape it. And, and they try to know the future and live apart from time. Whereas the naturalist comes along and says, no, time is merely a tyrant, and you are owned by time, and time is not on your side. Well, how should the Christian think about time? The Christian is actually not pessimistic about time, and the writer of Ecclesiastes is not pessimistic, and I don't want to be pessimistic this morning. As a matter of fact, what I love about the Bible is the Bible is the most realistic book there is. We're not dealing with pessimism, we're dealing with realism. Meaning if you say, Joel, you know, like the whole like sea of death at the end of time, like we're all going to die, like that's being pretty pessimistic. I'm like, no, you're not being realistic. <laughs> like, have you not been paying attention to the last couple millennia of history? People die. There's a realism that the Bible gives us which shows us how life really is, and it shows us, brings us to real solutions. And so for the Christian, the Christian is one who says time is real, and time is inescapable, yet, check this out, we are not owned by time. We are owned by God. And as a matter of fact, God owns time. And God has moved in time to give us an unchangeable kind of hope. Through that, on that foundation, we can then enjoy every season of life knowing that it is leading us not to some unknown, but rather to God's intended destination. So, how might you have an unchangeable hope in changing times? I want to divide my answer to that question into two parts, which is the way that the author has structured this text, part one and part two. Part one is what you don't know about time, and part two is what you do know about time. And this answer leads us to this unchanging hope in an unchangeable God in changing times. If I could give you some structure from this text, the poem is in verses one through eight, which displays just the changeability, the changing season, the changing nature of times. In verse 9, there's a rhetorical question that's asked, which is, so what gain does the worker have from all of his toil? Which is uh, the, the way the author is just simply saying, 
you know, so what's life about? Like if life is changing, if times are constantly changing, then why work? Why live? Why do anything? What's the, what, what is their meaning? How can, how can we get through this world if we know that things are always going to be endlessly progressing toward our death? And so he gives himself three different answers. The first one is in verse 10 and 11, and that's negative. So that's what we don't know about time. And then he gives us another two answers that are positive in verse 11 and verse 14. And we'll get to those in just a minute. But first, part one, what we don't know about time. This is his first negative answer to that question in verse 9. Number one, we cannot know life outside of time. We cannot know life outside of time. Look at verse 10. He says, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He's saying here that God is the one who has appointed time to the children of man and given them stuff to do. All of these things from death to life, from birth to laughing to weeping, etc., etc., is all given to us by God. What he's saying is this, is that we live in time and God exists outside of time and has directed the children of man, which is a fancy way of just simply saying humans, in all that they do. God is the directing one. God is the guiding one through human existence. In other words, to be human is to live in time. And so therefore, we can't know what it's like to live outside of time because only God can live outside of time. But here's our problem. We want to be God. We want to be God. You see, a lesser being defines themselves in relationship to a greater being. For example, my dog Teddy doesn't, doesn't, even, he doesn't even know that he's a dog. You know what I'm saying? All he knows is that he is a servant to his master. His understanding of his being is in relation to me. As he follows me around and won't eat when I'm not home and watches out the window till I come home and licks my hand and jumps on me when I get home. But see, as humans... We have said, no, we want to be the greater. Humans have divorced ourselves from that servant-master understanding of us and God. We've divorced ourselves from that. To be human, yes, it is to serve God, but no, humans have said, no, we don't like that. And we want to be gods ourselves. And as it relates to time, our challenge with time, if we're honest, is that we actually want to be God. Meaning, we want to be able to change the past. We want to know the future. And we want to be able to pause the present. And the result for us is that time so often feels like an enemy, not a gift. Because we can't control it. Because we want to be God. So, number one, what we don't know, number one is we don't know what it's like to be God, how to live outside of time. We can't. We're human. We're in time. Second thing is this. We cannot know the whole of God's plans for time. We don't know everything that God's got in store. Look at verse 11. He says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Everything has its day. That's positive. He's also put eternity into man's heart. That also sounds pretty positive, doesn't it? Yet. He has a yet. So what he's saying here is is eternity to man's heart. He's saying we're, we're not created to be carried along by time to the sea of death, but we were created to live in wholeness with God. Eternity, heaven, is written on our heart. We have this desire to be able to embrace all of the joys of the past and the joys of the future because eternity is written on our hearts. Meaning your desire to possess the joys of yesterday and your desire to understand the future is a testimony to heaven. 
That's what he's saying. Yet, he says, there's a negative line here. Something that is, is, uh, uh, becomes a massive limitation for us. Yet, he says, so that he cannot find what God has done from the beginning to the end. Meaning, God is the great author who has already written from the beginning to the end the story. God has already done it. Like whatever happens in the future is as good as done with God. Just as the past is done, the future is done. And we can't understand it. We can't wrap our minds around it. The yet here is to say that God has given us an ordained limitation in such a way that we cannot know everything that God is doing. Meaning, only God can be God. We are limited, whereas God is limitless. We are finite, whereas God is infinite. We are temporal, whereas God is eternal. We are mutable, changeable, whereas God is immutable, unchangeable. So, given our limitations then, as humans, not gods, as people who cannot know the beginning or the end, we cannot know God's entire plan, how things are going. We don't know why God is doing what He's doing. You don't understand how your particular story in some fashion fits together with all the other stories in this room that fits together with all the other millions of stories in this world, past, present, and future, the billions of stories of people that are redeemed by God, and how all of that, every bit of it, every moment, every second, every minute, every hour, is moving in some fashion toward God's intended destination. You don't know. So, with our limitations... How do we have an unchanging hope in changing seasons of life? Well, first, this is why the gospel is so incredibly important. Meaning, if we were left to ourselves in this river of time, we would all lead toward that sea of death and eternal judgment which we deserve. The gospel, however, says that the eternal God, check this out, has entered into time to redeem. To give those of us who are within time salvation. You could say that there's a time to curse and a time to save. For God, there's a time to judge and a time to declare forgiven. For God, there is a time to die and there's a time to raise the dead. There's a time to prophesy redemption and there is a time to redeem. You see, the Scripture says this, when the fullness of time had come, there was a moment in time in which God said, it's time to send the Redeemer. And God, Galatians 4.4, sent His Son. God moved within time, saints, to give those who are driven by time the hope, an unchangeable hope, in the God who exists above time, using time for His good purposes. Are you with me? So in the fullness of time, somebody say in the fullness of time, Jesus came in time. Think about this. Consider Christ's condescension for a moment. The the God who created time entered into and took on the boundaries and the limitations of time. Christ was born in time. He grew as time allowed His young body to develop. At 13 years old, Christ is known to have stumped and wowed the religious teachers in the temple. At the right time, Jesus began his ministry. And then, by the way, when the Pharisees tried to prematurely end his ministry, Jesus said, nope, not going to happen. He says what? My hour 
has not yet come. There's a time to teach. There's a time to minister. There's a time to proclaim. But then there comes a time to die. Shortly before the Passover, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says to them what? My hour has now come. With bold assurance, Jesus proclaims that the time has come for him to go to the cross. My time, he says, is at hand. There is a time for birth and there is a time appointed for death. And on that old rugged cross... In a moment of time, Jesus died for the sins of humanity. He took on the judgment of God for the sins of those of us trapped within the shackles of time and death. Jesus died for our anger. He died for our lusts. He died for our, 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 our lies. He died for our idolatry. He died for our desire to be God and our dissatisfaction with not being God. Jesus died for us so that death sure would not be the end. So that wouldn't be our only final destination. So that the horror of time's progression would actually drown in the hope of time's redemption. I mean, just think about this church. Let's apply this to our lives. How many moments of time in your life could you have been ruined, but God was there working in the midst? How many times could sin have destroyed you, but God was with you? How many times could time itself have taken a turn for the worst? How many times could the arrows of your enemies have pierced you? How many times could depression have overwhelmed you? How many times could the robbers and thieves have broken into your home? But God. You see, we are not here today in this room because we own time and because we figured out how to master time. But rather, we're here today because we are owned by God. Because God is our master. No, we're not alive today because we have been so good at predicting the future. We are alive today because we are in His Hands. Come on, somebody. Give me an amen. If we are going to be honest with ourselves, a lot of times the problems we face are not because of external situations, not because of what people have done, not because of the errors of our enemy. A lot of times the problems we face our regrets of the past, our dissatisfaction with the present, and our worries about the future have to do with my own guilt, my own fault. Meaning God has not saved me because I have redeemed the time so well, because I have used every bit of my time for His glory. No, as a matter of fact, we have wasted so much of our time in sin. Yet God in His mercy and grace says, I will redeem the years the locusts have eaten. God can even redeem the the wasted days and hours of our life. You see, God has moved in such a way in our salvation, in our redemption, that He would get the glory all the time. That's how He does it. It's to lift up His glory. It's to lift up His forgiveness. It's to put on display His redemption. It's so we might know His grace and His mercy. The fact that we're still here is testimony to God's grace. He's merciful. He's gracious. Why? How? Because He separated us from our sin as far as the east is from the west. As The chorus goes that we often sing, if it had not been for the Lord on my side, where would I be? Where would I be? And time is progressing in redemption to yet another hour unknown. 
The Scripture says of this hour that no one knows the day or the hour. Even the earth groans for this coming hour in which Christ will set His feet back on this planet, restore all things, judge all evil, remake the world, raise the dead, those who are in Christ, who will live forever with God in the fullness of joy. O Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight, when the clouds would be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. So have an unshakable hope, saints. Have an unchanging hope in these changing times. So what do we know? How do we live in time? I'm almost done, but let me, let me finish this out. Part two is what we do know. What we do know about time. We see it's almost as if a, he's giving us a confession of faith in verse 11 and verse eight, uh, 14. He uses these words, I perceived, which is another way of saying, these things I know. So I don't know about being God. I don't know what it's like to be God. I don't know what it's like to live outside of time. I don't know uh, all of God's plans from front to the back for my life and for your life. But, but this is what I do know. Given who God is, Given the redemption of Jesus Christ, we know these, these, these truths. Number one, what we do know. Verse 12 and 13, he says, we do know that time is given to us as a gift. Time is given to us as a gift. Verse 12, I perceived, he says, that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil. This is God's gift to man. Oh, time, every bit of it is to be enjoyed. Somebody say, help us, Lord. Since time is a mystery, God doesn't ask us to figure it out. But rather, God says, enjoy it. I'm in control of it. I've given you this moment enjoy it. You see, when we try to recreate the past, we miss the joy of the present. When, 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 when we grumble about our current, we miss the joy of the present. When we worry about the future, we miss the joy of the present. And I can speak from experience. I tend to be a nostalgic kind of person. And what I've discovered is that the problem with nostalgia the problem with nostalgia is always missing the past and these feelings and wanting to kind of regain them and recapture them and hang on to them. And as a result, we miss, endlessly miss, the joy of what is right now. I also tend to be an anxious person. And so I can speak from experience that when we worry about the future, and all we're thinking about is how this is going to go. And, you know, things are good right now, but I don't know how things are going to be tomorrow. I don't know if I can really have too much happiness right now because I don't know what next week is going to hold. And we're filled with anxiety and we're filled with worry, a.k.a. not trusting God with the future. We miss the joy of right now of the moment that God says, wait a second, I've given you this moment to enjoy. So he says, there's nothing better than to be joyful and to do good. That's what he says. What God wants us to do is to be joyful and then to use this moment of time that he has given you to do good, to create good, and to enjoy what is good. And so application for us. In every season... In every season of life, with all of these different times, I want you to wrap your mind around the reality that God has called us to be thankful and have joy in every season of life. Oh yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a day to eat turkey. There's a time to eat all the sides and the, the pumpkin pie. Enjoy it. 
And then next week comes and there's a time to exercise and get back to healthy eating. Enjoy that as well, he says. Enjoy your kids' faces when they're chubby and little. And enjoy your kids' faces when they grow older and develop wrinkles and gray hairs grow. Enjoy moments of birth. And even when you bury your loved one, seek joy in the remembrance of them. There's joy in everything. There can be joy in everything. There's joy in our happiness and there's joy in our sorrows if we're in Christ. Meaning life can actually be lived with gratitude. Life can actually, every bit of it can be received with thankfulness. The preacher is saying, look, enjoy the times of laughter, but he's also saying enjoy the times of tears. You know, half that list in verses 1-8 through eight are negative things. Not so what we would call enjoyable. But then he says that there's nothing better for you than to enjoy everything. Enjoy the times of building and enjoy the times of tearing down. Enjoy the times when we speak and enjoy the times of silence. And if we are going to enjoy every aspect of life, we have to learn how to enjoy even the dull and boring moments of life. Supposedly, we will spend six months at stoplights. Over our lifetime, we will spend one year looking for misplaced objects. Or two years, if you're me. Five years, if you're Marla. <laughs> Just playing with you, Marla. We will spend two years returning phone calls with no answer. We will spend four years doing housework. We will spend five years waiting in line meaning we must learn how to receive even the dull and boring moments of life as God's gift to us to enjoy. So what do we know? We do know that time is given to us as God's gift. Secondly, and we know that time is in God's hands. Verse 14 and 15 is his second confession. I perceived, he says, I know this, we know this, that whatever God does endures forever. Amen? Meaning if God makes a covenant with Abraham, that endures forever. If God makes a promise through the Scriptures, those promises will endure forever. If Christ died once and for all, His work endures forever. And if God writes your name in the book of life because you've turned and trusted in Jesus Christ, redeemed by His blood, his work endures forever. What he does lasts. Nothing can be added to it. He says nothing can be taken, taken from it. God has done it for this purpose so that the people fear him. Meaning, unlike the works of our hands, which fade with time, God's actions of endurance brings us to our knees to fear him. Not in like a scary kind of way, but in a servant master kind of way, meaning reverence. We recognize that He is God and that we are entirely dependent on Him in this moment of time because He holds all time in His hands. Verse 15, that which is already has been, that which is to be already has been. He's once again reminding us of the cyclical nature of time, meaning the things that, that you, you had they're not new. The things that, that you're going to come up with, well, somebody's come up with them before. Time is just moving on, and so much of it feels like such loss. It feels like such vanity. Yet, look at this promise in verse 15 as he ends. He says, and God seeks what has been driven away. What he means by this is that the joys and the memories and the achievements of yesterday have been driven away. So much of your life has already been driven away by the current of time. 
actions of love that you experienced or gave, which felt so real in the moment, are so gone now. There's so much good that feels like it's just been driven away from time. So what he's saying is, is that God seeks, and that word seeks means to, to grab onto, to, to hang onto it, to find it, and to bring it back. He's saying that all of the losses of yesterday and all of the unknown tomorrow are in some mysterious fashion resolved in the continual fullness of joy in heaven. What he's saying is, is that there is no joy that, 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 that is good, that is right, that, that, is, that is worth hanging on to. There's no joy from your past that is gone, that has been lost, which you will not somehow have forever in eternity. And there is not anything that is coming that is scary which could keep you from that. Meaning, God has in some fashion and will someday for all of us bring all of this together and we will experience all of the joys of life in one constant, continual moment of time with God forever and ever and ever. You say, I can't understand that. Well, me neither. And I think if we could understand heaven, it wouldn't be heaven. But oh, that day when we will see Christ face to face, who is the fullness of joy, the creator of joy. Does he not know how to give joy? If he's given us happiness, if he's given us laughter, if he's given us life. So there's nothing good then that is lost that will remain lost. There's nothing good that is forgotten that will remain forgotten. Yet church, we are currently driven along this river of time. And as we get older, some of you are beginning to feel this, the waters rush quicker and quicker. Remember when you were a child, summer felt like it lasted for an eternity. And then you get to middle age, some of you are with me there, and man, like, you know, summer goes by quick. Feels like a month. Can't believe it's over. And then as we get older and older, it goes quicker and quicker, as one of my mentors who's in his mid-70s told me, he said, by the time you get to my age, he said, your, your months feel like they go by like weeks, and your years feel like they go by as months. It's just flying. We are all quickly approaching that final shore. We are all going to run out of time one day. I read of the 2008 Monday Night Football Cowboys versus Eagles game. And it was supposedly one of the greatest games of NFL history. Is an offensive masterpiece, they said. And by the end of the game, going back and forth, touchdown after touchdown, the Cowboys won 41 to 37. One commentator for the game said that the Eagles didn't actually lose the game. They just simply ran out of time. Well, that's optimistic. But one day your clock will run out. One day you will feel like, man, if I could just get a little bit more, if I could go a little bit further, if I could love a little bit harder, if I could just share one more word of wisdom with those that I love, but your time will one day run out. And maybe someone will say they didn't so much lose life, they just ran out of time. Another might say, no, they were behind. And another might say, no, they lost in life. But listen, for those of us who are in Christ, our story ends different. Don't you understand? For us in Christ... There's a time to be born, and there's a time to die, and there's a time to laugh, and there's a time to cry. And the Scripture says, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus who loved us. Meaning time is in the hands of God, and God in Christ is on your side. And so you then are not experiencing an uncontrollable rapid 
but rather in time you are experiencing the unfolding of your own salvation, the unfolding of your own redemption, redemption that has been accomplished in Jesus Christ. Every moment of time, God is sovereign and He is providential. Meaning He is in control of it, He's over it, and He's organizing and orchestrating all things for your good and for His glory. Saints, do you have this unchangeable hope in an unchangeable God in changing times? Oh, we live in this life. God has given us this time. So he's saying, look, this is a gift from me to you. Enjoy it. That's the application. Enjoy the life that God's given you. But as we enjoy this life, we run in faith to Christ who is preeminent. We run in faith to see Him who is our Savior, our Redeemer, who has completely changed our story and given us a good ending. We run to Christ. Church, run in faith to Jesus Christ. See your hope in His work. That's where we have an unchangeable foundation. What a Savior He is. You know how uh, in light of the Gospel, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18 instructs us to live in each moment of every day? It says this. This is how you live in time. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will. For you, in Christ Jesus. Oh, some of you are so freaking out about what is God's will for me? What should I do? What does He want me to do? And you're worrying about the future and you have anxiety over this and that. And He's coming along saying, now let me tell you what my will is for your life. In this moment of time and in every moment of time, I want you to rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all all circumstances it doesn't say give thanks in some circumstances it doesn't say give thanks only when the circumstances align with your plans and your desires but rather it says give thanks in all circumstances why because in all these things church we are more than conquerors and so rejoice rejoice Always. How often? Rejoice, church. Rejoice always. And I'll say it again, just in case you didn't hear it. Rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the fact that You are the God of time. And You are sovereign and You are providential, working things out for Your plan and for our good, for Your intended purposes, for our life, for this world for our loved ones. God, let us be people who have joy in this life. Let us apply this to our own lives. Let us grow in thankfulness and gratefulness. May we trust you more. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.